Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us on this sort of live um, session of uh, Explaining the Faith series. I'm Father Chris Alar, and it's great to have you with us. Uh, we're having a really unique day today. I'm actually, this uh, talk today is pre-recorded, but I'm joining you right now live on the chat. So we are uh, premiering this video or, or doing it as a push-up live. Uh, that is gonna be on the topic of the Holy Spirit that builds from our last week talk on uh, the Trinity. And I'm gonna be with you actually answering your questions and contributing to the conversation. This is a wonderful new way we're gonna try it. Uh, so we're still with you at 11 o'clock on Saturday. Even though I'm recording this earlier, I'm excited to be with you from Michigan because uh, at that time by Saturday, I'll be uh, in, in uh, another state. So God bless all of you for your patience. And I would like to say, I apologize, I can't do both Facebook and YouTube, so I'm gonna be focusing on the YouTube side of this. If you have any Facebook questions, um, we'll see if somebody, we can get to those later, but live, uh, we have to do YouTube, so if you consider, you can switch over to our YouTube channel called Divine Mercy, and you can find that link on our webpage at thedivinemercy.org, also has a link to explaining the faith. Well, God bless all of you. This is a continuing part of my series called Explaining the Faith series that you see on your screen. That is a series of talks that I've been doing. This is talk number 30. Uh, God bless all of you. I can't thank you enough for being, we've become a family. We've become uh, a catechism class. We've become a family. We've become Marian helpers. And I'm so excited to have all of you. I recognize so many of your names now. Um, it's wonderful. I hope to meet you all sometime if you ever can make it to the shrine. But this series, as you see on your screen, is part of the DVD Explaining the Faith. That's the first 13 talks. We have the more will be released later, but you can get it at shopmercy.org or on our 800 number 800-462-7426 or you can stream it at thedivinemercy.org slash explaining the faith. Okay, God bless and now for an absolutely awesome topic, an awesome subject matter, the Holy Spirit, the forgotten member of the Trinity. Last week we talked about the Trinity, so if you didn't see that talk you can catch up to that a little bit later. But in it, we talked briefly about the Holy Spirit. Today, we're going to do that. Now, I'm really excited to tell you that this plans my next four weeks of Saturday talks, because today I'll be doing the Holy Spirit. Next Saturday, I'll be, so today is the third person of the Trinity. The next week, next Saturday, I'll be doing the second person of the Trinity, the person of Jesus, who was Jesus. Then the following week, I'll be doing the first person of the Trinity, so I'm kind of going in reverse order, God the Father, and especially the Old Testament. Like so many of us do not understand the Old Testament when it says, God says, kill those people, and things like that. We're going to explain the Old Testament, the God the Father, and the first person of the Trinity. And then the following week, the fourth week after that, we will be talking about the Ten Commandments and the seven deadly sins, which really are misunderstood in our world today. So the next four weeks, we're excited if you can join us each Saturday, again at 11 o'clock. Those other talks will all be live, but today we'll see how it goes with me answering being live with you on the chat. 
All right, God bless everybody, and let's begin with a prayer in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and enkindle in them the fire of your love, who through the diversity of all tongues has brought the nations together in the unity of faith. Send forth your Spirit, and we shall be created, and you will renew the face of the earth. And we ask you, Heavenly Father, to give us this gift of your Spirit. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Trinity is so beautiful, the love they share, and the Holy Spirit is where I want to begin. Because remember, we all come from God the Father, and God the Father is revealed by the Son, and the Son is revealed by the Holy Spirit. So if we want to get back to God the Father from where we came, we're going to start with the Holy Spirit. Next week, God the Son. And then the following week, God the Father to get back to our home and then understand the message of the Ten Commandments and seven deadly sins. All right. So today's topic, as you saw on the screen, is understanding the Holy Spirit, if we can. You know, look at our first slide here. Last week, let's do a quick summary here. Last week, we talked about this. The Holy Spirit, okay, is basically the same substance or same nature as the Father and the Son. So look at your diagram there. The Father, let's you link it to the middle there, which is God. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. But the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father. So this means that they are all one substance, but they are distinct, okay? Different persons. We talked about that last week. If you'd like to watch that talk later and refresh there. We said last week that the Son is begotten from the Father, meaning only the Son comes from the Father, but what about the Holy Spirit? He comes from both the Father and the Son. So he proceeds, whereas the Son is begotten of the Father. He comes from him, not created. He's uncreated. But he comes from the Father, whereas the Holy Spirit comes from both the Father and the Son. A great example we talked about last week was the family. You have the, the husband who's like the lover, the son who's like the beloved, and the love between them is so great that proceeds from it is a third person. That love is so great that a third person comes from it, is proceeds from it, and that's like the Holy Spirit, just like a child to the mother and the father. All right, let's look at this. Now, we also said last week, so my first couple slides are just review. We also said that when the Father, let's take a look at our next slide, which is God the Father. When the Father thinks, there he is thinking, right? That's his intellect. He's using his intellect. God has an intellect. Remember, oh, well, Father, you're making him like man. No, man was made like God. We were created in his image and likeness. So when the Father thinks, he thinks of a word, a single word. That's why he's simple. We're the ones who are complex. He's simple, infinitely, beautifully simple. And when he thinks, he thinks of a word, the word. That is the Son. Now, 
He doesn't just think, though, with his intellect. He loves with his will. So he's also love. Now, remember, last week we said love is a relationship. Love is not just something in me and something um, just in you. Love is the bond uniting me with you. It must have two persons. Love must have the lover and the beloved and the love between them. So if I have love for you and you have love for me, that's the bond. So you need persons. I can't love if I'm the only person. That's why God is a community of persons. All right? That's why I look at our next slide. That love that binds the Father and the Son is called the Holy Spirit. The love between the Father and the Son is so great that proceeding from it is the Holy Spirit. This is why I said we have a community of persons. Now, last week, we also said <clears throat> that when the Father sends his word or the Son, it is powered by a breath. And that word of God, the Son, and his breath, the Holy Spirit, the breath, are at the origin of all being and life of every creature. That's why the Hebrew word for spirit is ruach. Yeah, a little harsh there, right? Which means breath or air or wind. This ruach, this ruach, this spirit is who we're talking about. The Holy Spirit. I, I go through a ton of material looking to just summarize for you guys the best way I can. I watch tons, read tons of books, tons of articles, pull out my seminary information. I watch tons of YouTube videos and I try to bring you the best highlights, the simple summary that gets you to understand this. And this video is only three and a half minutes, but stay with me because I think it does a great job of summarizing what I'm trying to show you. If you've ever heard the phrase, the Holy Spirit, and you want to know what it means, where do you start? Well, you have to start on page one of the Bible, where the uncreated world is depicted as this dark, chaotic place. But then above the chaos, God's Spirit is there, hovering, ready to bring about life and order and beauty. Okay, but what is God's Spirit? Yeah, so the Spirit is the way the biblical authors talk about God's personal presence. The Hebrew word is ruach. Ruach. Yeah, you got to clear your throat at the end. So what is it? Well, ruach can refer to a number of different things, but what they all have in common is energy. Energy? How so? So there's an invisible energy that makes the clouds move or the tree branches sway. Right. Wind. So in Hebrew, that's ruach. Okay. Now take a big breath. <sighs> so you feel that inside you. Yeah, the air? Well, specifically the energy, right? The vitality in your body that you get from breathing deeply. That too is ruach. And this is the same word used in the Bible to describe God's personal presence. Just like wind and breath are invisible, God's spirit is invisible. Wind is powerful, and so God's spirit is powerful. And just as breath keeps us alive, so God's spirit sustains all of life. Yeah, Ruach. 
Now, as we continue on in the story of the Bible, we see God's Ruach giving special empowerment to people for specific tasks. The first person in the Bible this happens to is Joseph. God's Spirit enables him to understand and interpret dreams. And then it happens to this guy named Bezalel, and he's an artist. God's Spirit empowers him with wisdom and skills. He's given creative genius to make beautiful things in the tabernacle. And we also see God's Ruach empower a group of people called the prophets. They're able to see what's happening in history from God's point of view. That's exactly right. And here's the problem as the prophets saw it. While God's Ruach had created a really good world, humans have given in to evil. They've unleashed chaos into it through their injustice. A new type of disorder. Yes, and the prophet said the spirit would come, just like in Genesis 1, but now to transform the human heart, to empower people to truly love God and others. How will this new act of God's spirit happen? Well, centuries pass and we are introduced to Jesus. And at the beginning of his mission, there's this beautiful scene where Jesus is being baptized in the waters of the Jordan River. Yeah, the sky opens up and God's spirit comes and rests on him like a bird. This story is saying that God's spirit is empowering Jesus to begin the new creation. And we see this happening when he heals people or forgives their sins. He's creating life where there once was death. Now, Israel's religious leaders oppose Jesus and they eventually have him killed. But even here, God's spirit is at work. The earliest disciples of Jesus, who saw him alive from the dead, said it was God's energizing spirit that raised Jesus. This is the beginning of new creation. Yes, and it's still going. When Jesus appeared to his closest followers, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And soon after that, the spirit powerfully comes on all of his disciples. So that they can become a part of this new creation and share the good news and learn how to live by the energy and influence of God's spirit. And so today, the spirit is still hovering in dark places. Yes, pointing people to Jesus, transforming and empowering them so they can love God and others. And the Christian hope is that the spirit is going to finish the job. The story of the Bible ends with a vision of a new humanity, living in a new world that's permeated with God's love and life-giving spirit. Okay, so after watching many videos, I thought that one really captured the essence of what we are trying to show. As you saw in that video, the mission of the, of the Holy Spirit and Jesus are together. Um, the Holy Spirit is that power by which Christ could do miracles and rise from the dead. And so this joint mission of the Son and the Holy Spirit are distinct but inseparable. The, um, in their joint mission, they are distinct but inseparable. So in Christ, we see, you know, um, I think the best way to probably say this is it is Christ who is seen. That's the visible image of God the Father, but it is the Spirit who reveals him. So the Father is revealed by the Son, and the Son is revealed by the Holy Spirit, as I just said earlier. And remember, in a lot of ways, how do we know the Holy Spirit? His spouse, Mary. So again, if you want to get back to God the Father, from which we all came, which is our goal for all eternity, go back the same way you came. Invoke Mary. She can show you her spouse, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will reveal the Son to you, will take you to the Son, and then the Son is the way 
to the Father, the only way. So this is what we're doing here. Now, let's go to the catechism on our next two slides and read what the catechism defines as the Holy Spirit. Wow. All right. The one whom the Father has sent into our hearts, the Spirit of his Son, is truly God. Consubstantial, meaning same nature or same essence, same substance. With the Father and the Son, the Spirit is inseparable from them. In adoring the Holy Trinity, life-giving and indivisible, the Church's faith also professes the distinction of persons. When the Father sends his word, he always sends his breath. In their joint mission, the Son and the Holy Spirit are distinct but inseparable, just as we were saying. It is Christ who is seen, the visible image of the invisible God, but it is the Spirit who reveals him. Catechism 689. That's basically what we're saying here. So Jesus's whole work, in fact, is a joint mission. I bet you guys didn't think of that. I bet like me growing up, you just thought Jesus was doing the work of Jesus. Actually, the father sent them both. He sent the son, but he also gave him the power of the Holy Spirit. So this joint mission right? The mission of Christ and the Holy Spirit is brought to completion in the church. This is why we need the church for salvation. Next slide. The church is the body of Christ and the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is so important. The Spirit prepares men and goes out to them with his grace in order to draw them to Christ. We can't get to the Father without going through Christ, but we can't get to the Son, Christ, without the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit manifests this risen Lord, this Christ, to the people by opening their minds and hearts. That's this power. He makes present, he, the Holy Spirit, makes present the mystery of Christ in the Eucharist. You know, at the Mass, when I place my hands over the chalice and and, and, and I invoke the Holy Spirit, it's called the epiclesis. I'm saying to the Holy Spirit, please come down and make this bread and wine the body and blood of Christ. Who are we invoking? The Holy Spirit. So he makes the mystery of Christ in the Eucharist known in order to reconcile us to God, to bring us back into communion with God. This is important. This helps us to bear much fruit and makes us holy. So this is what happens at the Mass. This making holy is sanctification. Now, if you listen to my other talks real early in this series... This is important because, yes, all three members of the Trinity sanctify us, make us holy. But sanctification, while it's in all three, is attributed to the Holy Ghost, 
the third person of the Trinity, like creation is to the first person of the Trinity, and redemption is to the second person of the Trinity. So God the Father created us, they all did, but we attribute creation to the Father, redemption to the Son, he saved us of the cross, and sanctification or being made holy to the Holy Spirit. So when we pray to God to make us holy, don't forget to call out the Holy Spirit. If you're spending time in prayer saying, Lord, please let me do better. Please let me make this, you know, this struggle, uh, you know, um, better and help me get through my sins and overcome them. Are you invoking the Holy Spirit? Are you specifically saying, Holy Spirit, come into my heart. Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and enkindle in me the fire of your love. Call out the Holy Spirit. So how do we receive him? How do we receive the Spirit? Through the sacraments. Christ communicates his Holy Spirit to the members of his body through the sacraments. This again is why we need the church. Because that's where we get the sacraments. The Bible tells us nobody comprehends the thoughts of God, that's the Son, the Word, except the Spirit of God. And we get the Spirit of God through the sacraments. So God's Spirit makes Christ, His Word, His thought, known to us through both the Bible, because non-Catholics will say the Bible. Oh, is that true? Yes. But also the church and her sacraments. The Holy Spirit makes us hear the Father's word. <clears throat> what makes you hear my word right now? My breath. Luckily, I brushed my teeth and took my mints, so hopefully that breath doesn't smell because that breath is how you're getting it. <laughs> and it's the same with God. You're getting the word of God, the Son, spoken by the Father through his breath. This is how you're getting it. He makes us hear the Father's word. But believe it or not, the Spirit doesn't speak on itself. Just like my breath doesn't speak, what speaks to you? My words, they come from my thoughts, which come from me. So me, like the Father, generates or, or, or comes up with this word, generates it, like truth, I'm not creating truth. Truth always existed like the sun always existed, but I'm generating it in my mind. Then I deliver it through my breath, but my breath never speaks on its own. And the Holy Spirit surprisingly never speaks on his own. Why don't you ever hear somebody say, the Holy Spirit told me, well, maybe, yeah, in your heart, but he doesn't speak like the son did or the father does. This is surprising to people. When the church reads the Old Testament, she searches for what the Spirit has to say. Well, Father, you just said the Father doesn't speak. Yes, I'm sorry, the, the Holy Spirit doesn't speak. Yes, he does, through the prophets, who has spoken through the prophets. So the Holy Spirit wants to tell us about <clears throat> God the Father and God the Son. And in the Old Testament, he speaks through the prophet to tell us about the coming of the Son. But he doesn't speak on his own. He's the breath that's generated through the beauty of God, but spoken through the prophets. How? Let's talk about this. In the Old Testament, there were many prophets, Moses, and, and we'll talk about more of these later, David. 
But let's look at the New Testament for a minute. How did he speak in the New Testament? In fact, let's go to who, what's happening in the New Testament. All right, in the New Testament, Mary is the masterwork of the mission of both the Son and the Spirit. Why? This is important. Let's go to our next slide. This one slide says it all. Because God's Spirit prepared her, Mary, because she was prepared, the Father found in her the dwelling place for his Son and his Spirit. Because his spirit prepared Mary, the father found the dwelling place where his son and his spirit could dwell among men. Well, father, wait a minute. The son and the spirit always existed. What do you mean now they're going to find a dwelling place amongst men? By the Holy Spirit's power and the faith of Mary, her virginity became uniquely fruitful in the son. Conceived how? By the power of the Holy Spirit. This God-man, the second person of the Trinity, come to flesh, Jesus Christ, changed the world, and he did it through 12 men, the apostles. Now, can you imagine the fear that these apostles, who knew that they were going to lose Jesus after the crucifixion, how scared they must have been? <clears throat> They were petrified. They were hiding in the room. They had the doors locked. They were scared to death. But Jesus told them something. He said that in the end, this would all be for the better because then they'll receive the Holy Spirit. When he was in the body, this is what's really interesting. When Jesus was in the body, he could not be everywhere with all men at all times. As a man, he was limited now in his humanity. He couldn't reach the minds and the hearts of every man everywhere because the Bible tells us so. Look at the hardened of hearts, the Pharisee where he dined at their house, or, or the high priests who condemned him. He couldn't reach the minds and hearts of men everywhere. He was limited in his humanity, but he was getting ready to bring the Holy Spirit in its fullness. So story's not over yet. As a man on the earth, he was limited by space and time. But there are no limitations to the spirit. Everywhere a man goes, the spirit is with him. But the spirit couldn't quite come yet in its fullness. Why? Because Jesus had to ascend to the Father first. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But the spirit that was alive with Jesus after his baptism, full, what did the Spirit do? The Spirit convicts us. When we are convicted of our own sin, we have conversion. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Mary Magdalene, Peter, all the people of the, old, uh, of the, of the Bible that Christ converted. Man cannot come to an understanding of sin, righteousness, and judgment on our own. And that's what the Old Testament was all about. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now look at this here. In its pure insanity, the world totally missed how to judge sin, righteousness, and judgment, or how to view it. 
In fact, it was so insane, the world regarded Jesus as the sinner. So it's first topic, sin, they were totally off base. They said Jesus was the sinner, not us. Next, righteousness. The world thought it was righteous and Jesus was not. And third, it ended up pronouncing false judgment on Christ himself and putting him to death. So they messed judgment up as well. Without the Holy Spirit, man, the world gets it all wrong. Sin, righteousness, and judgment went out the window. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. So the role of the Spirit is in to interpret Jesus and his revelation of the Father. What is the main purpose of Jesus on this earth? To reveal the Father. So until Jesus has completed this, completed his revelation, the Spirit is not yet fully able to do his job. Now, Father, what do you mean when Christ completed it? This is our next slide. This is why we had to wait until the ascension. This is a beautiful painting of, of Christ ascending to the Father. So this is the first step. He had to ascend to the Father by his own power and the power of the Holy Spirit. And it was better, Jesus said, for the disciples that Jesus do this because then it completed his work. Well, Father, how was his work completed then? Then he was seated at the right hand of the Father and then he could send the paraclete. Another word for the Holy Spirit who would lead them and all that Jesus revealed. So he would lead them into all that Jesus revealed. This is Pentecost, our next slide. Look at Pentecost there. There's Mary. Notice the little flames on the heads of the apostles. You know, you, you sometimes see St. Jude with the little thing sticking out of his head. They used to have statues. And I used to say when I was a kid, what's that thing sticking out of his head? That's the flame of the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit, the disciples shared in the very life of God that they had seen in Jesus. And when Jesus ascended, he could then send the paraclete. So now we're seeing our faith kick into high gear. The joint mission. Jesus did his part. Now he's sending the cleanup crew. The Holy Spirit. It's kind of like if you're a baseball fan. You got the starting pitcher who takes your team all the way to the last couple innings and you bring in your closer and he shuts the other team down. This is what Jesus is doing against evil. He, he brings us and, and gets us, and then he brings in the closer, the Holy Spirit, to thwart evil. So this union, this is a powerful union with God is accomplished by Jesus' glorification. This union of man now with God through the power of the Holy Spirit was only accomplished through Christ being glorified. And thus the glorification must take place before he sent the Holy Spirit. So the ascension to the right hand, Christ is glorified, he's resurrected, he's now glorified, and now he sends the paraclete. Now, the apostles and all the Christians, their witness will be through oral and written proclamation. How do we know now the teaching of Christ and the Holy Spirit? Through the written and oral proclamation. Guess where you find that? The written in the Bible, 
and just as important, the oral and the tradition of the church. This is why we need the church. Because the oral, the Bible tells us many things were not written down. The Bible tells us, Paul says, hold fast to the traditions that I teach you, both oral and written. This is what's going on now. The witness is through oral in the tradition of the church and the written in the Bible. We need the Bible and the church and then the magisterium to interpret it. The law of God, the tradition of God. This leads to the quality of life that the paraclete produces within the Christian community. And this is what we in America used to be. Please pray that we don't lose this. The Holy Spirit will always focus on the Son, but will not speak on his own. He only speaks what he hears from the Son. The Son has done exactly the same with respect to the Father. So you have the Holy Spirit here, only doing what he hears from the son. And you saw the son, Jesus, say in John 17, I've only done what I heard from the father. You see how this all connects? All right. The son has revealed the father. And now after Pentecost, here comes the Holy Spirit, who also is revealing the father, but through the son. He's revealing the son. But the message of the revelation of the Son was the Father anyway. It all goes back to the Father. Powerful stuff. As always, the Father is the ultimate source and focus. So the Spirit will focus on the Son, and the Son is who focused on the Father. But Father, Chris, why do we need all this? Why didn't the Father just do this all himself? Remember, it has to be a community person's or there is no love. Trinity has to have a lover, the beloved, and the love between them. Without that, there's no love. So we need this community of persons. Really, I saw a great synopsis once um, uh, on a talk that I attended. And the speaker said, the Father is the source from which all comes. The Son is the way to that source. The way, the truth, and the life, right? And the Holy Spirit is the power to get there. So he equated it to what I said in the, um, uh, the talk I did yesterday, or last week. Think of God the Father saying, let there be light. And he sends his son to turn on the light switch. And the power of the electricity is what makes the light come on. That's the Holy Spirit. So you have the Father the source of let there be light. The son is the way, he's the one who turned on the light switch and the Holy Spirit is the power or the electricity to provide the light. So Jesus, his knowledge of God, the thought, the very thought that he is, is the unique and only way to the father because you know what the father is thinking through the son. And Jesus provides the way to the Father, through him, by the power of the Holy Spirit to make it happen. Through him and with him and in him. Oh God Almighty Father, through the unit, or excuse me, through the power of the Holy Spirit. All glory and honor is yours, is basically what we're seeing here. 
powerful. All right, how does all this happen? How does all this happen, Father Chris? I don't know people who are living the spirit like this. No, but how it's supposed to happen if we cooperate with it is this. Next slide. The sacrament of confirmation. Not only is the Holy Spirit the forgotten member of the Trinity, confirmation is the forgotten sacrament. Please get confirmed. Have your children confirmed. The sacrament of confirmation is where we get the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to those who are already baptized in order to make them strong soldiers of Christ. Now, bear with me here. It's like the apostles at Pentecost who preached without now being afraid. They are now sealed in the Holy Spirit, like that girl was being sealed in the Holy Spirit at her confirmation. If baptism is like a seed of divine life put into the soul, then confirmation makes that seed grow. It's like the water, and one of the symbols of the Holy Spirit is water. It makes that seed grow. Baptism is the sacrament of birth. You're being born into divine life. You're now adopted sons and daughters of God. But confirmation is the sacrament of maturity. You're now an adult in your faith. I'm now ready to live it. So this is our next slide that says what confirmation is. Confirmation has the effect of increasing and strengthening the sanctifying grace of God given to us at our baptism. It pours into our souls the power of the Holy Spirit and his seven gifts, which I'll talk about in a minute, just like the apostles received at Pentecost. Wow. All right, now we're getting into the good stuff. These seven gifts, you've probably heard them before, the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the fruits of the Holy Spirit. If you're like 95% of Catholics, you don't know the difference. And that's what we're going to talk about right now. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, there's seven of them, are permanent dispositions which make man docile in following the promptings of the Holy Spirit. This is right from the Catechism, 1830. The church says we lose these only when we lose the state of grace through mortal sin. This is why you got to get back to confession. Now the church says they, they sustain, what are they? The gifts, the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. They sustain the moral life. They perfect the virtues in us. Remember the virtues? The cardinal virtues are prudence, uh, justitude, pr uh, uh, fortitude, justice, um, and uh, justice, prudence, fortitude, and, and um, um, uh, all of the gifts, or excuse me, all of the uh, theological virtues, faith, hope, and charity. So prudence, justice, temperance, and fortitude. Those are the cardinal virtues. Sorry, I had a mind blank there for a minute. So those virtues are put to life. 
through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. These gifts given at baptism are strengthened at our confirmation. This is powerful, really literally power, right? Now, let's look at these seven gifts now in more detail. Look at your screen. We're going to hold these up for a little bit. Let's look at this. These are very important gifts of the Holy Spirit. All right. Wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is the greatest of the seven gifts. Remember, this is what Solomon asked for in the Old Testament. Of all the gifts, he could have been given money, riches, power. He asked for wisdom. We see things in our lives and things of the world from the way God sees it. It's the opposite of the worldly view. It's being able to see God everywhere and in every situation. Don't those people sometimes make you jealous because no matter how bad the chips have fallen, they see God in every situation. Sometimes it's even kind of annoying, isn't it? No, it isn't. Because they see God in every where and in every situation. Jesus is wisdom itself. All right, let's go on to the next one. Down below it, understanding. Now, what's the difference between wisdom and understanding? Understanding is under t- understanding basically is when we comprehend how we need to live as a follower of Christ. Not only do you see the thing, the way things God sees, but now you comprehend that I need to live as a follower of Christ. It's knowing what it takes to be a disciple, but also to be open and aware to how others think and feel, like having compassion for others. Man, I really understand what you're saying. I feel for you. Like Brother Mark, who's been doing all these beautiful live streams, I'm like, man, I understand. This is, this is really a lot putting on your schedule. I comprehend that. I have compassion for that. You have empathy. You understand their situation. That's understanding. Now let's jump back up to knowledge. These seem the same thing. Don't they wisdom, understanding, knowledge? No, they're different. Knowledge now is learning stuff, data. It allows us, yes, to see things from God's perspective, but we come to know the teachings of our faith. We have knowledge of what the church teaches. What does the church teach about contraception? I have knowledge that the church teaches through Humana Vitae that it's an intrinsic evil. These are the things that we have now knowledge of. We come to know our faith and the teachings of the church so we know the meaning of God. It's more than just information. Yes, it's information, but it goes beyond that. You study and you learn the Bible, for instance. This is knowledge, all right? Let's jump down now to piety, down on the the lower level again. This is basically reverence. We have a deep sense of respect for God and the church. This is a gift. If you have respect for God and his church, that's a gift. It doesn't happen to everybody. Not everybody has that gift. We recognize our reliance on God. We pay worship and the duty to God as our Father. This is personal holiness. Piety. Now, let's jump back up to counsel. What is counsel? This is a 
supernatural intuition. What do I mean by that? Counsel, the gift, helps you judge right between right and wrong. You know when something's right and something's wrong. We can make good decisions and decisions to avoid sin because we know what's right. We live it so we can give good advice. That's a gift. You ever see somebody you can't give what you don't have? You have to live it. This is the gift of counsel, to make those good decisions so you can tell somebody else to make good decisions. It's kind of like if you're a smoker and a drinker and you're trying to tell your child, don't grow up to be a smoker and a drinker. Well, you're not making the right decisions yourself. All right, let's go down now to, well, you know what? Let's jump over to fortitude. Fortitude is basically courage. Willingness to stand up for what is right in the eyes of God, even if we have to suffer for it or be rejected for it. Resisting fear and overcoming obstacles by being strong, being stepping up to the plate. Guys, be a man. This is, this is what it is. Strong, even if we might face martyrdom. And then lastly, down at the bottom, fear of the Lord. This is wonder and awe, shock and awe. Remember that? One is made aware of the glory of God. It's not a servile fear where you're shaking and trembling and, and you don't even want to look at God. It's an awareness of God's greatness. God is the fulfillment of all our desires. And there is thus a fear of being separated from that. It's a good fear. It's more what we call uh, filial fear. Fear of offending God, not so much servile fear, a fear of punishment. It's more a fear of the Lord because I don't want to offend him. It's the beginning of wisdom. All right. These are the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. Let us now look back at the extreme beauty of these gifts. All right. These are the extreme beauty of these gifts. Now, they differ, however, from the fruits of the Holy Spirit. What I just showed you were the gifts. They make it possible to do good things. They're the dispositions in you that make you possible. But they're not the gifted, excuse me, they're not the fruit yet. The fruit is to come. Kind of like the gift is the seed, but you got to water it. And then it becomes fruit. It grows into a tree and bears fruit. All right, so what are the fruits of the Holy Spirit? They are the effects in us of living a life according to the Spirit and utilizing the gifts he gives us, just what we showed. It's a life of holiness, living it. The Catechism says they are perfections that the Holy Spirit forms in us as the first fruits of eternal glory. In other words, these are the first things, the fruit you need to bear to get to heaven for eternal life. Now, although in the Greek New Testament, this might be a little confusing, it lists nine fruits. We're going to use the tradition of the Christian faith of St. Jerome, who gives us 12. Let's look at these 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit. Let's go around the horn here. All right. 
kindness. That's pretty straightforward. Just that always having that smile on your face, not necessarily doing something yet, just portraying that look of, you know, smile or whatnot. Generosity. Now we're getting more into maybe kind words become active. They, you now turn that into generosity. Joy. Remember, joy is more than happiness. Worldly things can make me happy. You know, I could be happy when I was happy when the Detroit Red Wings won four Stanley Cups in the NHL. But that's not joy. That's happiness in a worldly sense. Joy is only in a supernatural, God fills us with that ultimate happiness. That's what joy is. All right, charity is your love that you show and actually do for others. You have self-control, which keeps us within limits, temperance, and other. We have faithfulness. This is faithful to our spouse, to our God, to our church. Gentleness is to do everything. Like for me, I get so passionate, sometimes I lose the gentleness. I'm doing all the right things necessarily, but I'm not doing them gently. I might be doing them too forcefully. Then there's a goodness, that goodness which determines everything that drives me. I want to do the good, Lord. Then you have chastity, purity of the body. Then you have peace. That is what Jesus said. Mankind will not have peace till he turns with trust to my mercy. And he's not talking about absence of war. When you can go to bed at night <clears throat> and you can fall asleep and there's nothing weighing on your mind or soul that you know you're doing wrong, you're at peace. People always say, Father, how do I know if I have a vocation to the marriage or to the church? Where's your peace? For me, I knew I finally had to answer the call to the priesthood because I only had peace inside the church. I didn't have peace in the world. I still don't. I have peace in the church of God. Then patience, another one of my struggles. Lord, please use the gifts of the Holy Spirit to bear the fruit of patience for me. I get very frustrated sometimes when you repeat things multiple times and it's not done. I have to realize patience, Lord, because look how patient you've been with me. My gosh, if the Lord was as impatient with me as I've been with others, he never would forgive me for the thousandth time. And then modesty, an important fruit that we don't see much in our youth today. The clothing at masses and things like that. Hmm, a lot of modesty needed. All right, so these 12 fruits, charity, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, generosity, gentleness, faithfulness, modesty, self-control, and chastity are the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And they are good habits the good deeds that come from living and utilizing the Spirit's gifts. So the gifts bear the fruit. <clears throat> For example, a gift, one of the seven gifts was fear of the Lord. That's a gift. I have a fear of the Lord. Now what's the fruit that comes from that? Chastity. Because I don't want to offend him. So that's the fruit. Or the gift was counsel. God gave you the ability to know right from wrong. What's the fruit? Faithfulness. 
because you choose to be faithful to your wife and your spouse. You see? So God gave you the gift of counsel so that you could make the right decision. And then when you do make the right decision, it's the fruit of faithfulness. Awesome. But none of us know our faith. So when a confirmed person, because now you're confirmed, you've been sealed in the spirit, cooperates with the graces that the Holy Spirit provides, the person makes spiritual progress. That's the whole purpose of having a spiritual director. You don't have a spiritual director just for you to vent your frustrations and tell your spiritual director how bad your spouse is or how lazy they are. That's not the point of a spiritual director. When you go there and he helps you cooperate with the gifts and the graces of the Holy Spirit, you make spiritual headway. You were given the gifts, now cooperate with them is basically the message. Being willing to listen and to obey the promptings of this Holy Spirit, then you will bear fruit. So every one of us who is confirmed, we are equipped with the gifts of the Holy Spirit to live a virtuous and holy life. We've been given all the grace and tools now. Just like the apostles at Pentecost, bam, game over. You've now been given all the tools. At your confirmation, you've now been given all your tools and now you're being sent forth to bear fruit for the benefit of the church. That's why you bear the fruit of being good and gentle and chaste and charitable and joyful and faithful and kind. That's living it. Use those gifts God gives us. Now this Holy Spirit is somebody very important because he is the one that powers all this. How do we know all this? Next slide. The creed. We always say traditionally the Apostles' Creed. Actually, what we say at Mass is not the Apostles' Creed. Apostles' Creed is what you pray at the Rosary. It's a shortened version. At the Mass, we pray the Nicene Creed. It's a profession of our faith. Now, what does the creed tell us? I'm going to go through it with you. Without the Holy Spirit, we are dead. We don't have eternal life. With him, we have all the gifts of the church that this creed tells us about. I'm going to jump all the way down to the end of the creed. I don't have time to talk about all the beginning because we talk about the Father and the Son. Let's go to the part of the creed that talks about the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. Where do we hear that? How do we know that? We see the Holy Spirit as the giver of life at creation. Well, Father, you said that the Father was the creator. Yes, but he uses the power of the Holy Spirit, the breath to breathe life into you. Genesis 2, 7 tells us this. Quote, then God formed the man and out of the dust of the ground and blew into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Wow. With that same breath, God speaks creation into existence. The animals, the trees, and the plants. So here's what's going on. The Son is the word of God by which everything is created. The eternal word. But he spoke, the Father spoke creation into being. And the power of the breath of that word being spoken is the Holy Spirit. 
This is incredible. All right, what's the next line? Who proceeds from the Father and the Son. We've talked about this. Remember, who's the Holy Spirit? The love between the Father and the Son. That is the Holy Spirit. It's so powerful that from that love between the Father and the Son proceeds a third person, the Holy Spirit. Just like the love between the husband and the wife is so powerful that proceeds from it is a third person, the child. All right, next, who has spoken through the prophets. Remember I said the Holy Spirit doesn't speak on his own. He only speaks through the prophets. Moses is one in Numbers eleven twenty nine. If only all the people of the Lord were prophets, Moses said. If only the Lord would bestow his spirit on them. So in other words, Moses is saying, if you are a prophet, the Lord would bestow his spirit on you. And remember by your baptism, your priest, prophet, and king. You are a prophet. So you have the Holy Spirit. Just like Moses was begging, if they were prophets, they'd have the Holy Spirit. You are a prophet. You share in the three offices of Christ at your baptism, priest, prophet, king. All right, let's go on to other prophets. In 1 Samuel 16, 13, it says, Then Samuel, with the horn of oil in hand, anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. He was a prophet and a king. All right? Or in this case, he's speaking through the King David. What about John the Baptist, who was the last of the Old Testament prophets? Luke, first chapter, verse 15. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will return many of the children of Israel to the Lord. It is clear the Holy Spirit is spoken through the prophets. What's the next line? I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Remember, this is small c Catholic. One of my friends who's, I think, Lutheran or Episcopalian says, Father Chris, I can't believe we pray at my own church, the Lutheran church. I believe in the holy Catholic and apostolic church. No, it's not Catholic as in our proper religion. It is small c Catholic, meaning universal. But that's how we get our name as big C Catholics, we're the universal church. But anyway, the Holy Spirit comes down where Mary and the apostles are praying and gives birth to the church. I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. The Holy Spirit came down and gave birth to the church. Acts 2.2 says this, quote, then there appeared to them tongues as of fire, which came to rest on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues. This was Pentecost, the birth of the church. That's why we believe in it. And then a couple more lines. I confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. All right, catechism. 1116 says, Sacraments are actions of the Holy Spirit at work in his body, the church. Remember earlier in this talk, I said, how do you receive the Holy Spirit? Through the sacraments. Let's look at this. Let's look at this. Baptism. Oops, sorry. Um, I, I missed a slide up there. Uh, anyway, uh, there was a slide I missed that, that we were supposed to see um, God bringing life into the creature. Let's now look at our next slide, baptism. Baptism. 
Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus said, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This is the first of the sacraments, the one where you're given the seed, which later will be strengthened in confirmation. And that's why confirmation is also an important sacrifice because it gives us the special strength of the Holy Spirit to spread and defend the faith, to confess the name of Christ boldly and to never be ashamed of the cross. Don't be ashamed of the cross. All right, a couple more lines. And I look forward to the resurrection of the dead. This is the creed. We're talking about the Nicene Creed. That comes from Romans 8, 11. The resurrection of the dead does, Father? Yes. If the spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you. We will be resurrected like Jesus was by the power of the Holy Spirit. But you can't if you don't have that power in you. And that power in you is the Holy Spirit that comes to us through the sacraments. And finally, and the life of the world to come. Amen. This is the sacraments. Foreshadowing the marriage of Christ and creation. When God will be all in all. This is the life of the world to come. The wedding feast of the Lamb. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we will be brought through Christ to God the Father. And all will be in all. The life of the world to come. What's the life of the world to come? Heaven. What is heaven? Getting back to the Father. How do we get back to the Father? Through the Son. How do we get to the Son? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. It all is amazing. All right. I want to finish with what does the Holy Spirit look like? And I got a couple rapid fire slides here. Stay with me. All right. The Holy Spirit is referred to in many ways. Let's look at the first one. The Spirit is represented with water. We just talked about baptism. It signifies the Holy Spirit's action in baptism, the water. We invoke the Holy Spirit and we make it effective. That soul is now branded. It's baptized. It now can enter into the family of God. All right. Next slide, anointing. Anointing is the Holy Spirit itself. This is another way we say that the Holy Spirit exists, in anointing. Anointing with oil signifies the Holy Spirit. That's 1 John 2, verse 20, and 2 Corinthians 1, verse 21. You know, Christ was called the Messiah, right? Well, the word Messiah in Hebrew means the anointed one, or anointed by God's spirit. This amazing? Incredible. The next symbol, you've seen this on chasubles somewhere, fire. The fire of the Holy Spirit. I'm on fire with the Holy Spirit. Fire symbolizes the transforming energy. You ever see what fire does something when the energy of a fire or a flame hits something? It consumes it. And so the fire symbolizes that transforming energy of the Holy Spirit in the form of tongues of fire. 
that we read at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit rests on his disciples on the morning of Pentecost and filled them with himself. This is Acts chapter 2, verse 3. All right, let's go to the next one. The cloud and the light. This is another symbol of the Holy Spirit. Symbols of the Holy Spirit, the cloud and the light. These two images occur together in the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Where do we know this? We saw it during the wandering in the desert. It was a light by night or a fire and a light by night and a cloud during the day. This is Exodus chapter 40. Very powerful stuff. All right, what about the next slide? Wind. Wind is another symbol of the Holy Spirit. How do we know that? On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit first seemed to appear as a mighty wind. Remember, the wind shook the upper room. Powerful. Wind has power. In fact, wind literally powers houses and, and energy. All right, next is probably the most famous, the dove. The dove in the Old Testament. You know what? Let me jump to the New Testament. Here's a picture of the New Testament. When Christ comes up from the water of his baptism, the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove comes down upon him and remains with him. That's Matthew 3, verse 16. But don't forget the dove was also in the Old Testament. At the end of the flood, remember? The symbolism of the dove that referred to baptism, or I should say, I'm sorry, the flood uh, was a symbolism of baptism, but a dove was released by Noah and returned back with an olive branch in its beak that the sign that the flood was over and a new creation was beginning. There was land. So this dove is a powerful symbol of the Holy Spirit. And there's one more incredible, powerful way that I bet you don't know. Anybody want to guess? We're doing our live stream. Type in if you think something on the chat there of another symbol that you are aware of the Holy Spirit. Did I forget any? Let's see if anybody can come up with them because I'll be answering right now, even though this talk I'm I'm giving pre-recorded. I'm with you live right now. You know the big one that might of you some have forgotten? Let's look at our next slide. The image of divine mercy. Here Christ parts his garments. See his left hand? He's pulling his garments. And the light in the form of two rays comes from his pierced heart. That ray or those rays are the blood and the water which gave birth to the church at Pentecost. This is the love of God pouring out into the world. This is the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is actually there in the rays of the divine mercy image. Wow. All right. I thought, you know what? I think I have a little bit of time. I got just a few minutes. I want to talk about something that we get asked an awful lot about. And I want to, I guess I can finish with this here. The sin against the Holy Spirit. A lot of you write and say, Father, is there any unforgivable sin? Are all sins forgivable? Yes except one. There's one unforgivable sin, the sin against the Holy Spirit. What is this unforgivable sin? All right, there's a couple different ways to understand it. 
Stay with me because this is very fascinating. There's one way to understand it. Let's go to Thomas Aquinas. He said, all right, to understand the sin against the Holy Spirit, I want to go deep with you right now. He said, the Father represents strength. The Son represents wisdom. And the Holy Spirit represents goodness. So what is a sin of weakness? A sin of weakness is a sin against the Father because the Father is strength. What's a sin of ignorance? A sin of ignorance is a sin against wisdom or a sin against the Son, who is wisdom. So that's why Jesus said sins against the Son of Man are forgivable. He's talking about sins against wisdom, therefore sins of ignorance, stupidity. I didn't know, Father, that this was a holy day of obligation. You were ignorant on that fact, but those are forgivable. But, Thomas Aquinas says, when man sins through a determined malice, through the very choosing of evil, it is a sin against the Holy Spirit because it's against goodness itself and we attribute goodness to the Holy Spirit. So sins against the Son of Man, as I said, are forgivable because those are ignorance. Or sins of weakness, like sexual sins, are sins against strength, against the Father. But sins of the Holy Spirit or against the Holy Spirit are directly choosing to do evil. Not out of habit or addiction, but out of contempt. And I don't care. I'm just doing it. I hate this person and I want to get them. This is why sins of unforgiveness, I always don't let the person go in the confessional till they understand the seriousness of unforgiveness. The reason you don't care about forgiveness or mercy if you choose this act of hate. Now, there's another understanding of the unforgivable sin. If you read the Ignatius Bible and Scott Hahn and others do the commentary at the bottom, it might surprise you. It says there, the sin against the Holy Spirit is this. It comes after Jesus' good deeds are claimed to be from Beelzebub. You know that in the Bible where they say, you must do your works from the devil. They must be from the evil one, from Beelzebul. And Jesus answers that. But basically, the sin is attributing to Satan, a false deity, what is really the work of God. Now, stay with me. Because there's a third way to view the sin against the Holy Spirit. Thinking you are outside of God's mercy. I'm going to tie all these together, so stay with me. And thinking there is no way that God would or even could forgive you. Don't fall into that trap. The unforgivable sin in this sense has three flavors. One, I don't care about God's mercy. I don't need that. I'm fine. That's one flavor of the unforgivable sin. You don't need God's mercy. Two, Father, God could forgive me, but he won't because he hates me. No, God didn't hate you or he wouldn't have created you and you wouldn't be breathing with the Holy Spirit if God hated you. God can't create what he hates. He can only create out of love. 
So Father, God could forgive me, but he won't. He hates me. No, impossible. Or the third, Father, even God can't forgive me. You have no idea the sins I've done and how horrible I am. You know what? Jesus said if you put all the sins ever committed together, they would be just a drop compared to the ocean of his mercy. You think your sin is greater than that? Impossible. All the sins of Hitler, Stalin, Mao, and I promise you not one of you watching right now has done more sins than those three is still forgivable, believe it or not. Don't think God can't forgive you no matter how bad your sin is. The only unforgivable sin is not asking for forgiveness. Now, which one of these three that I just described is the unforgivable sin? They all are connected. All right. Giving credit to Satan, what belongs to God, is important because this is like the golden calf. You know, hey, it was this golden calf that led us out of Egypt, not God. Problem. Today, oh, Father, we don't worship golden calves. Yes, we do. Today, we have false gods like money, sex, power. Those are our golden calves. For some people, it could be football or, or, or sports. This is why in, 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 in religious life, we take the vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience because they fight the three gods of money, sex, and power. The God of money is overcome by the vow of poverty. The God of sex is overcome by the vow of chastity. The small world G, or the small G God of the world of power is overcome with the vow of obedience. Powerful stuff. But today we can also make the mistake of what belongs to God, giving credit to false deities, like fertility cults or seances or Satan worship. Satan did this for me. Astrology. You think the heavens determine your future, not God. Psychics, tarot cards, don't do that. That stuff's no good. They're trying to play God. Only God is God. Palm reading, don't do that stuff. That's why the church teaches it's wrong and don't do it. If you believe these things have the power, you will not turn to God. And if you don't turn to God, you put yourself outside his mercy. And if you put yourself outside the mercy of God, you will not ask for forgiveness. And if you do not ask for forgiveness, you cannot be forgiven. And that is the unforgivable sin. St. Augustine said, sin against the Holy Spirit is basically final impenitence. Persisting in sin until the end. No repentance. But God will give you every opportunity. So where does this come from? It's rooted in that malice that Aquinas warned about, where we don't want or ask for God's mercy. We therefore then turn to these false gods. Now Augustine went on, he said, so great is the downfall of this sin that it cannot submit to the humiliation of asking for pardon. So please don't get scared. If you're sitting there saying, Father, I'm petrified, I'm guilty of the unforgivable sin, just by asking the question or making that statement, you're not. Because you want to be forgiven. You don't want to be punished eternally. You want God's mercy and forgiveness. Therefore, you're, you, you can't be guilty of the unforgivable sin. The very fact that you go into a confessional means you can't be guilty of the unforgivable sin unless you're forced to go in. Because the very fact that you're going in means you want God's mercy and forgiveness and you can't be guilty of the unforgivable sin. The only unforgivable sin is not wanting or caring about God's mercy. 
A, ask for God's mercy. Remember the ABCs of mercy. A, B, C, ask is A, the first one. Ask for God's mercy and forgiveness. This message of mercy, these ABCs that we taught you about 30 weeks ago, is not optional. Pope Benedict said it's the heart and nucleus of the gospel. All right, finishing up here. So they are all connected. It's Catechism 1864 that talks about the sin against the Holy Spirit. It says, quote, there are no limits, all right, no limits to the mercy of God. But anyone who deliberately refuses to accept God's mercy by not repenting rejects the forgiveness of his sins and the salvation offered by the Holy Spirit. Such hardness of heart can lead to final impenitence and eternal loss. All you have to do is say, I'm sorry, go to confession, and you are fine. But you got to live it. You got to mean it. It's not a false, just, you know, a, a rabbit's foot or a magic wand. All right, last few paragraphs, and we are done. Hopefully, you guys are hanging with me. You've been great. But don't lose hope for a loved one, St. Thomas Aquinas says. Hence, considered in itself, this sin is unforgivable, unpardonable. But we should always pray that God in his mercy will choose to pardon it. Wow, that comes from a great saint. All right, so we're done now. We're going to summarize. How do I summarize everything? We covered a lot today. All right, a few bullets to summarize. First, the third person of the Trinity and the one most active in the world today is the Holy Spirit if we let him. I keep saying him. Remember, there's no gender. This isn't, I don't want to get into a gender discussion, but we say him. Our sins chase away the Holy Spirit from our bodies, which are temples of the Holy Spirit. That's what a state of grace means, having that indwelling of the Trinity in your soul, the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you lose that, go back to confession with a purpose of amendment, not with a purpose so I'm free now to sin again, for the purpose of amendment to restore that relationship with God. Next, invite that Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, into you regularly. Lord, make me holy. Don't just generally say that. Say, Holy Spirit, make me holy. Can't pay those bills? Invoke the Holy Spirit. Can't get along with your spouse? Invoke the Holy Spirit. Can't stop looking at pornography? Invoke the Holy Spirit. Use the gifts that you were given at baptism to develop those into the fruits for the world, the church, and to get you to heaven. The whole bottom line, prayer is the key. Our slide, this is a beautiful picture right here from our shrine of divine mercy of the Trinity. This is the picture. Here it is. We pray in the name of the Trinity. We enter into communion with God. Look at this beautiful picture in three persons through the sacraments right here at the shrine and other churches. And our prayer is part of that eternal relationship, speaking through the Son to the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. There you have it. God bless all of you for sticking with us You've been awesome, and hopefully I've been able to answer at least some of your questions. I apologize if I haven't been able to get to all of them because there's a lot watching, and I am only can type so fast. 
But I, I think this is really exciting for me to be able to give this talk and now join you as I have been on the live stream. God bless you. If it works, maybe we'll try it again. But please stay with us for next week, understanding the second person of the Trinity, the Son, followed by the following week, understanding the first person of the Trinity, God the Father in the Old Testament, followed by the Ten Commandments and the Seven Deadly Sins. Now, if you, all of you have been our family, all of you have been, this is like for me a blessing like I never imagined when we started this 30 weeks ago. Every week since 30 weeks, Brother Mark and I have been bringing you these episodes. And we've become a family. When I read these comments, I'm like, I recognize that person. I recognize this person. I recognize this person. It's beautiful. And so you become part of our family. Our, this is a catechism class. I feel like I've been given by God to be your teacher. And, and you've been given by God to be our students. And, and God wants you to learn. God wants you to be part of this. And so how beautiful is that? Keep coming back. Now, if you really want to take it to a next level, it's not a requirement. Continue with us. But our next slide is the final slide. And this is where you can become a Marian helper. God bless you. It costs nothing. There's, there's, it takes 10 seconds. There is no cost. You can go to micprayers.com and sign up to be a Marian helper to take this fruit of the Holy Spirit out to the world through the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ by who we are, the Marian fathers. Jesus says, be my hands and feet. You can through us Marian fathers. Become a Marian helper. God bless you. And, and, and we hope to continue to see you week after week. We're going to keep going as long as you guys keep tuning in. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button for all of you on YouTube. If you go up there, you can hit the subscribe button. And that'll help us. Uh, hopefully, at this time, we'll be over 100,000 um, on Saturday. You guys can push us over 100,000 on Saturday by hitting subscribe because then YouTube places our videos out to more people. They put it on more people's walls or whatever you call it. If you're on Facebook, hit like, but on YouTube, subscribe, and we can get these videos to more people because YouTube sends your videos to more, more people on their previews if you have over 100,000 uh, subscribers. So God bless you. We hope that we can continue this wonderful work, and I'm so grateful that God gave each and every one of you to be part of our Marian family. Let's keep going. This is going to make a difference in the world. Let us pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the gift of your Son and through the power of his Holy Spirit. We continue to ask for your blessings upon all those watching, their families. Keep them safe, dear Lord, from the virus, from all persecutions, and most of all, let them accept the gifts of the Holy Spirit to therefore go out as uh, living the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And we ask all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen, and God bless you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content, which will help you on your journey 
with Jesus Christ. Simply visit divinemercyplus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's divinemercyplus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.